Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everybody. When this episode was recorded, Doug Ford's enhanced stay-at-home order allowing carding was very much still in effect. Thankfully, it has since been rescinded, but we thought it would be relevant, important even, to keep the episode as is to illustrate the incompetence that Ontarians have been experiencing, certainly for the past few weeks, if not since 2018. We hope you enjoy the episode. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, if you think we've got the sauce, subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of April 11th, including... The danger of Doug Ford's enhanced state of emergency and his continued incompetence. The federal conservatives finally have a credible climate plan. I'm serious. The Fed's supporting Air Canada in return for passenger refunds. No justice, no peace. Reviewing the cases of Dante Wright, Lieutenant Caron Nazario, and Jacob Blake. A data breach shows that the police actively support those who murder Black Americans. Hmm. This 9-11 will be one to remember. Find out why. And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment. So last week, we asked you if you thought our province's vaccine woes were an issue of speed or an issue of strategy. I think this week, the premier answered that question loud and clear. Yep. And literally no one likes his tone. To fight the third wave that's draping up Ontario as well as other Western jurisdictions all over the world and to slow infection rates that are rising at an exponential rate, Doug Ford has, as of this episode, starting straight harassing mans in the streets by giving police the authority to ask anyone outside their home to justify their purpose and provide their address. People, particularly essential workers, many of whom are BIPOC and vulnerable, Mm -hmm. will be at risk of receiving tickets of about $750 or worse. He's also extending his stay-at-home order for an extra two weeks for a minimum of six weeks. Non-essential construction, like what is non-essential construction? Like patients, what is that? That must be residential construction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So non-essential, so residential construction will be stopped and outdoor amenities like golf and playgrounds will be restricted. Counterintuitive, but okay. Those businesses still allowed to open will have a capacity limit of 25%. There'll even be inspectors making visits to corporate offices to confirm that only essential workers are there. This move comes on the heels of modeling from the science table, showing Ontario having well over 18,000 new daily COVID infections, even with current vaccination rates. Mm -hmm. 
The science table's modeling also showed that more stringent public health measures could bring the number closer down to 10,000 new cases per day. The irony is that he still hasn't implemented paid sick leave, which is key to getting COVID case counts down. Anything but. I mean, as the science table themselves pointed out ahead of Ford's announcement, quote, without stronger system level measures and immediate support for essential workers and high risk communities, high case rates will persist through the summer. End quote. Yep. Through the summer, fam. Yeah, man. Because of this man's incompetence, the modeling also showed up to 1,800 patients in intensive care by the end of May. Yo, so why don't we just take a look at what basically everyone has been saying about this. In a statement, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association blasted Friday's measures as, quote, rights slashing by Queen's Park, end quote, and suggesting that they could lead to court challenges. Uniform President Jerry Dias in a statement said, quote, Workers are scared and are looking to the province for leadership instead. Doug Ford is playing politics amid the crisis and workers in essential jobs across the province are still waiting to be put on fast track to vaccination, end quote. The official opposition NDP, Liberals and Green Party all agree that rather than ramp up carding, the government should have provided paid sick leave to essential workers while shutting down all non-essential work and travel. Mm-hmm. Honestly, patients, honestly, I, I didn't even think the government would make this move. Nobody did. Since, like, especially since Ontario Solicitor General Sylvia Jones herself said that when Quebec did the same thing, there was massive backlash. Like, so you, you don't, you don't, you didn't think so either. I did. I, I didn't. I was actually surprised. I, and, and like, like you said, this is, this is incompetence is to put it lightly. So light. People are telling you, the science table is telling you what to do. And you are ignoring them and doing what? Who, who, who advised this? Who is connecting the, these updates to, to, to the, the state of emergency to bringing down case counts? We know a number of things. You've mentioned this. We know the people who have to leave their homes because they're essential workers in construction, on site, in hotels, cleaning up bedrooms, in um, restaurants. Uh, cl- cleaning up there or, or serving people there as cashiers at, at the Dollarama, at the, at the grocery store. We know these are racialized people first. We also know that when you give police the absolutely arbitrary space to question anyone outside of their homes, that as much as you say the words arbitrary, as much as you say the words random, that certain people will be targeted. Mm-hmm. It's unconscious. It, it it happens every single time. And everyone's very well-intended right now and saying, you know, if anything happens, contact the, the Black Legal Action Center. Or mm-hmm. if anything happens, you know, make sure that you're, you're recording it on your phone. What we should be doing right now is applying pressure. Mm-hmm. This is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Write a letter, write an email to your MPP, call your MPP. This cannot fly, fam. And the reason, you know, and I'm going to sound real dumb right now, but I'm going to say it anyway. The reason why I didn't think the government was going to make this move is because if nothing else, 
the, 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 the provincial government, the provincial cabinet is advised by this man named Jamil Giovanni. Mm. And as much as Jamil and I do not agree on, on, you know, tactics in terms of solving some of the issues that are affecting our communities, I thought at least directionally, Curtis, yeah. directionally, we, we had the same understanding of what was going on. Where the fuck are you, Jamil? What is happening? That you allowed this to, to pass, you allowed them to to get on the mic two hours late for yesterday for, for the, the Friday yeah, yeah. press conference and mm-hmm. say this garbage without like any kind of of understanding of how this will disproportionately affect racialized people, or I'll I'll just say it, black people specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pam. I, I'm so I'm I really I trusted that at least there's one guy in there who who maybe doesn't totally get it but directionally understands how bad this could get. No. No, he doesn't fucking get it, obviously. And you notice when you asked where he was, I literally remained silent. Crickets. Damn. This guy, I checked his Instagram and I checked his Twitter. His last tweet was trying to call out Black Lives Matter New York about some ethical standards. Counterproductive. Focus. Like, we have our own problems. Stop stop focusing on Black Lives Matter New York and the issues that they're facing there. What we have massive systemic change happening in Ontario under state of emergency measures, you know... Curtis, when I when I first contacted you after the beginning of the pandemic, more than a year ago, we agreed on starting a podcast about what politics and political decision making looks like during a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And we have pivoted since then, obviously, to talk more about the racial revolution. But this mm-hmm. is a perfect example of the two really coming together. Yeah, absolutely. When our governments have to make political decisions, life and death decisions during a, a, a state of emergency, it is racialized people. It is black people who suffer. Fuck this shit, man. Nah, man. It's gotta be said. Interestingly enough, numerous police forces have stated that they will not be taking part in this action, even going as far as to tweet their opposition. And I'm just going to rattle a few of these off for, for sake of kind of, analysis because it's not just about what these police forces say right Mm -hmm. so toronto police they tweeted quote new emergency orders announced yesterday to help limit the spread of covid are now in effect the tps will continue to engage educate and enforce but we will not be doing random stops of people of cars so at the time of this recording i hadn't seen a, a statement from peel police specifically but i did see mississauga mayor bonnie crombie say Quote, Mississauga, I know many of you have questions about the new powers the province has granted to police. Peel police will be issuing a statement shortly, but I can assure you that police will not, in caps, be conducting random vehicle checks or arbitrarily stopping people, end quote. Durham Regional Police said, quote, public safety is always our focus. In regards to the new provincial regulations, we will continue to engage our community, educate when appropriate, and enforce when necessary. At this time, this does not include randomly stopping vehicles in order to enforce the stay-at-home orders, end quote. Similar for Ottawa, similar for Hamilton, Halton, Waterloo, Guelph, Niagara, Stratford, London, St. Thomas, Peterborough, Kawartha Lake, South Simcoe, Barrie, North Bay, Salt St. Marie, 
just to name a few. Interestingly, though, I haven't seen anything from York Regional Police yet. Yuck. Look, I, you know, hopefully institutional opposition from police sends a message to the Ford government that this was exactly the wrong move. But the, the truth is that all of us should know, right? All of us should know this by now. Just because police brass authorized this position, and just because some progressive-minded officer or civilian tweeted it, does not mean that all officers will adhere to it. Mm -hmm. We know that in Toronto between 2013 and 2017, a black person was 29 times more likely to be killed by police. We represented 32% of the charges, despite only representing 9% of the population. I know the numbers are similar elsewhere. We know... The Ontario Human Rights Commission data shows that over 25% of proactive stops that led to force included black people compared to 11% for white people. Mm -hmm. And remember, we're only 9% of the population. We also know that officers don't usually face accountability. Rarely. So look, this is a stressful time. It's a dangerous time. And so with that being said, I mean, patients kind of already mentioned it. We think it's extremely pertinent to inform Black and, for that matter, Indigenous Ontarians who are most at risk in this time, that if you require legal services during the stay-at-home order, you can contact either the Black Legal Action Centre at 1-877-736-9406 or Aboriginal Legal Services at 1-844-633-2886. Jumping to our second political story of the day. So after reeling loudly and consistently against the carbon tax, the conservatives are now campaigning on a carbon tax. <laughs> the conservatives are hypocrites. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. No, seriously. <laughs> like, even the Canadian media is calling this a stunning reversal for Aaron O'Toole, who released his conservative climate change plan that puts a price of $20 per ton on carbon emissions, with the cost increasing to $50 by 2030. O'Toole's plan would see us earn spending credits in a, quote, personal low carbon savings account, end quote, each time we gas up our car or pay to heat our home. We could then use that money to buy products or services that a conservative government would designate, quote, green, like bikes, EVs, or more efficient furnaces, for example. Mm. Interestingly, O'Toole calls for, quote, new taxes on frequent flyers, non-electric luxury vehicles, and second homes to deter activities that hurt the environment. Really? This guy? The man said it from his mouth. Wow, fam. His plan also imposes mandatory sales targets for zero-emission vehicles, under which 30% of light-duty vehicles sold in 2030 would need to be emissions-free. The proposal states that a personalized savings account is preferable to the government controlling the money, because Canadians can't be sure the Prime Minister won't be tempted to use the carbon tax revenue to fund his big government plans. Critics have mixed reviews. No kidding. I mean, for one, it's, it's got major holes, right? If you already live a green lifestyle, you won't see any money pile up in that savings account. Mm-hmm. The other is it literally rewards people for polluting. Yeah. Federal Environment and Climate Change Minister Jonathan Wilkinson said, quote, This so-called plan takes away the climate action incentive rebates and replaces it with some sort of petrol point scheme where <laughs> the more you burn, the more you earn. <laughs> this is not a plan. This is a pamphlet that will do less in cost Canadians more from a party that 
doesn't even think climate change is real. This man said petrol points. <laughs> Disrespectful. Laurel, <laughs> Laurel Collins, the NDP's environment and climate change critic, attacked both the liberal and conservative policies, saying, quote, what the conservatives announced today is no plan at all. It's even weaker than the liberal commitments when it comes to reducing emissions and does even less to reimburse families for the costs of carbon, end quote. Some of O'Toole's own MPs <laughs> were confused with the scheme and aren't happy. Mm-hmm. One spoke on condition of anonymity with the star saying, quote, Aaron will have to explain this after making that commitment not only to caucus, but to the entire membership of the party. He signed a pledge that he would oppose the carbon tax. <laughs> This is a massive blow to his integrity and credibility, end quote. If you look at his social media comments, more of his members hate it than love it, reflecting the split down the party when the climate change resolution was voted down at their convention. Rebel News, dare I quote them, is calling O'Toole a liar. Oh, man. Professional garbage... <laughs> Our guy, yo. Professional garbage... You're as of... <laughs> Honestly, I'm reading this and I'm like, yo, he is being shit on. This is so bad. <laughs> like, so bad. Nobody likes this. Nobody. Okay, well, no, we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay, okay. Professional garbage spewer Ezra Levant said, quote, I have to say, O'Toole supporting the carbon tax is disqualifying because he promised he wouldn't. And he received support in return for that promise. So he's untrustworthy. He's a liar. End quote. That said... All that said, some experts are pleasantly surprised by the conservative plan. Marin Smith of Simon Fraser University's Clean Energy Canada said, quote, For the first time in history, the Conservative Party of Canada has a real climate plan that could potentially hit our current 2030 climate target, end quote. Clean Prosperity Executive Director Michael Bernstein said, quote, the climate plan processed or proposed by Aaron O'Toole today is a significant step in the right direction for the Conservative Party of Canada and for climate action, end quote. He went on to say that what isn't so great is, quote, it swaps out the current federal carbon tax for a lower carbon price that will do less to incentivize emission reductions and then supplements it with a set of regulations that are more costly. It would be better for Canadians if Mr. O'Toole would allow the carbon price to rise past $50 a ton, end quote. So I don't know. Are you surprised by this move, Patience? Or how do you think this will play with the electorate? Well, I mean, it's funny that the conservatives are calling him a liar. Wasn't he really clearly pushing for some carbon, for some amendment or some stronger uh, carbon legislation before they, they had their policy convention? Yes, but he said he would not implement a carbon tax. And, you know, there are different <laughs> there are different mechanisms other than a carbon tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, fair. I think when you ask how how do, how do I think the electorate will view it? It depends on who you count as being his electorate. Like mm. I think this is a move that is attempting to make the party more center. Yeah. And obviously if if what you're trying to do is get more liberals or more people who have historically voted liberal to consider voting conservative, this is how you get them. You acknowledge climate change is a thing and that in order to be, in order to lead this country, we need to know that it's a thing and do something about it or at least have a petrol points plan, a petrol points version of a plan to, to fix it. 
Um, but definitely his electorate has spoken for itself in saying yeah. that th- this is not what they want to, to do. Um, and this guy's getting killed. He's getting killed for it. You mentioned that Aaron O'Toole has been hammered and he, he absolutely is. And I, you know, yesterday I was listening to a CBC um, power panel with um, National Post columnist Andrew Coyne. He's a noted conservative. And one of the things that he pointed out about Aaron O'Toole and his climate plan is that it is, you know, although it has holes, it's a credible plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Aaron O'Toole has just done is essentially ushered in more credibility for the conservative party for the future. Yep. But Aaron O'Toole will never be prime minister. Ah. Never, ever be prime minister because his own people don't like him anymore. Right. It's wild. He's like the sacrificial lamb for the party. He's the sacrificial lamb. Makes a lot of sense. So look, I'm, I'm happy that the party finally has some sort of plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the fact that they refused to have one was embarrassing to begin with. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm I'm honestly triggered by this move because the conservatives were literally part of what they called the resistance. A group of conservative premiers from Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, as well as former conservative leader Andrew Scheer, who banded together to oppose the carbon tax. Ontario went even as far as spending upwards of $30 million dollars to argue this nonsense before the Supreme Court. So wasteful. This conservative plan seems like it'll cost more, yet less, uh, yet cut less emissions while being less efficient, all because of their ideology. They can't bear the idea of tax dollars being redistributed. I mean, it's kind of immature when you really think about it. I also don't know how Aaron O'Toole expects to have credibility with Canadians because it was literally until just a few weeks ago, this man was saying that he could not, he would not put a price on carbon for consumers. All these years of lambasting carbon pricing in the government, and now he's suddenly embracing carbon taxes? I mean, that's great, but he's got no credibility with me. Jumping to the Canadian economy. So last week, we gave you an example of how damaged the airline industry was becoming in Canada with Billy Bishop Airport needing to seek third-party investors just to stay afloat. Well, now there's a bit of a lifeboat. The feds have reached a deal with Air Canada that will provide financial support in return for the company committing to customer refunds from the beginning of the pandemic. Pretty good, eh? Yeah. Finance Minister Krista Freeland and Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra said the government will provide Air Canada with up to $5.9 billion in return for $500 million in stock through the Large Employer Emergency Financing Facility, Mm. a program aimed at supporting various large Canadian employers who have lost revenue due to COVID. Air Canada had to agree to a cap on executive comp of $1 million a year, a suspension of dividend payouts and stock buybacks during the loan period, to reinstate regional routes, and to maintain current workforce levels, to respect collective bargaining agreements and protect workers' pensions. And right now, the company just has over 15,000 Canadian staff. So that's that's pretty important. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't they do their massive layoffs already? So like maintaining the 15,000 shouldn't be huge. It, it should be the bare minimum. They literally yeah. cut 20,000 jobs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Minister Freeland, in respect to the deal, said, quote, taxpayers aren't footing the bill. This is a loan facility and the government of Canada fully expects to be paid back. This is a good deal and a fair deal for Canada and Canadians, end quote. And it's needed, because as I pointed out already, 
Air Canada's passenger numbers dropped 73% in 2020 after doing pretty well for several years. And as we already pointed out last year, they had to cut 20,000 jobs, more than half its workforce just to stay afloat. Then it cut another 1,700 just in January. They had already received $554 million from the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, and they plan to continue using that program. President and CEO Michael Rousseau said in a statement, quote, the additional liquidity program we are announcing today achieves several aligned objectives as it provides a significant layer of insurance for Air Canada. It enables us to better resolve customer refunds. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Of non-refundable tickets, maintain our workforce, and re-enter regional markets. Most importantly, this program provides additional liquidity, if required, to rebuild our business to the benefit of all stakeholders and to remain a significant contributor to the Canadian economy through its recovery and for the long term, end quote. So how do you think different players are responding to the move, Patience? I mean, it's a pretty tight plan. Uh, what, what a lot of people don't recognize is that when Canada gave out the wage subsidy, they didn't really define all the things that they're defining here in terms of not being able to pay out dividends, not not or having a cap on executive salary or executive compensation. There were holes for sure. Yeah. So allowing uh, or supporting Air Canada in this in this way that that is more holistic, I think, is is a really good response. And I also think, um, just speaking from from my, my limited knowledge of what a national airline uh, does for a country, like we we kind of we're, we're a big country, we're the second largest country in the world in terms mm-hmm. of land mass. So mm-hmm. it's really important to have a national <laughs> airline. Like if we don't have Air Canada. Um, we we lose a lot of accessibility when it comes to people being able to travel around the country. Porter doesn't go everywhere. WestJet doesn't go everywhere. I don't know what other airlines there uh, exist, but you know, Air, Air Canada is. I would say Air Canada is a necessity. I mean, maybe not in its current form, and like using its current business model, but certainly uh, Air Canada is really important for uh, our, our federal government. Yeah, there's no question whatsoever. I mean, those regional routes, for example, they are they are crucial. Um, it's interesting to note that you know Air Canada they're taking part in this in this facility. Um, WestJet is also in talks with the federal government. They're expected uh, to to follow through on the program as well. So we could see a return to you know at least support financial support in the airline industry. As for how different analysts are responding, Unifor is happy saying, quote, Canada is late to the game, but better late than never. They probably didn't want to come to a conclusion too quickly. They wanted to push for the best deal they could, end quote. NDP leader Jigmeet Singh said the current proposal has some positive signs, 
but I'm worried, like many people are, about making sure it all goes to protecting workers. We have to support sectors that are hard hit, but we have to make sure it actually keeps people employed, end quote. As usual, it seems only the conservatives had hostile things to say. Conservative MP Stephanie Cousy and Stephen Blaney said, quote, The package announced by the Trudeau Liberals is far from the comprehensive relief program the Canadian airline sector needs to restore service in all regions of the country and does nothing to ensure the sector is healthy and competitive as we recover from the pandemic. Shut up. I mean, that's literally directly opposite of what Air Canada CEO said. Like, how are they so dumb? It's so annoying. <laughs> like, what are you saying? You know, I, I feel it's important to kind of say something just in response to that. Um, say less. I don't agree with this, but what a lot of political analysts will say is that it is the job of the conservatives as the official opposition to oppose the government. But I think there's more constructive ways to do that, like the NDP shows almost every single day. Exactly. Customers who purchased non-refundable tickets but didn't travel because of COVID since February 2020 will be eligible to receive refunds as of April 13th. So that's four days ago. Moving on to blackity black, black news. You know, this week has been a really hard week. And um, I actually read something that Charlemagne the God said. He said he feels like spring is open killing season for cops that kill young black men. Now, thanks to body cameras, we can finally see that that this is true. Uh, so this week, we're bringing you three stories about Black men and the police that made headlines this week. Mm. First up is Dante Wright. So Kim Potter, the police officer who shot and killed Dante Wright, resigned from the Brooklyn Center Police Department on Tuesday, April 13th, and was charged with second-degree manslaughter in Sunday's shooting of Dante Wright, a 20-year-old Black man during a traffic stop. She faces a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. Why these people get to resign rather than be fired is beyond me. But uh, in addition to Potter resigning, the chief of police of the Brooklyn Center Police Department also resigned, I assume, for having defended Potter in having mistook her gun for her taser. Mm-hmm. Police say that Wright was pulled over for expired tags, so registration tags on, on your license plate, but they sought to arrest him after discovering that he had an outstanding warrant. Court records indicate that a judge issued a warrant for Wright earlier this month after he missed a court appearance. Body camera footage shows Wright struggling with police after they say that they're going to arrest him. Potter, who has been in the force for 26 years, longer than Wright has been alive, pulls her service pistol, her Glock 17, and is heard yelling taser three times before she fires and then says, holy shit, I shot him. Wright's death has been followed by protests every single night this week outside the city's police station, with some demonstrators hurling objects at officers who have responded at times with gas and rubber bullets before clearing the scene with a riot line. I don't think anyone is going to be surprised to hear that Potter was released on a $100,000 bond hours after her arrest on Wednesday. She has already appeared in court alongside her attorney, Earl Gray, 
And at her initial appearance on Thursday, she, she said very little. Gray, her attorney, kept the camera on himself for most of the hearing, swiveling to show Potter only briefly, and her next court appearance is set for May 17th. A little bit more on Earl Gray. Um, He is a high-profile Minnesota defense attorney who has represented multiple police officers engaged in this kind of misconduct. One of his current clients is Thomas Lane a former Minneapolis police officer who helped to restrain George Floyd alongside Derek Chauvin. In our next story, a Virginia police officer is fired after a black army lieutenant, Caron Nazario, is pepper sprayed and handcuffed during a traffic stop. During this illegal traffic stop, police officers in Virginia held Lieutenant Caron at gunpoint, handcuffed him, and doused him with pepper spray. My question to the audience is, at what point do you stop being thanked for your service as a lieutenant and start being treated as subhuman and deviant? Huh? huh? Any answers? When you're black, of course. Yep. The incident happened back on December 5th, and soon after the event, which was captured on videos, body cam footage again, Officer Gutierrez was fired. Following an internal investigation, the town of Windsor said that Gutierrez did not follow department policy. They did not provide any further information on the other officer involved in the incident, Daniel Crocker, but said that the department is requiring additional training. Honestly, Lieutenant Nazario doesn't care. He's suing the town of Windsor. Sue them, blood clad. Come on, sue them. Uh, Are you wondering why he's suing them? Well, the video shows it all, but here's a bit of a transcript. In both body camera and cell phone video, Nazario in his army uniform is seen with his hands outside of the window of his car. I've not committed any crime, Nazario said. Then the two police officers order him to get out of the car, drawing their guns. I'm honestly afraid to get out, Nazario says. And then one officer responds, yeah, dude, you should be. In the video, Nazario repeatedly asks why he was pulled over, and one of the two officers pepper sprays and kicks him. He expresses concern for his dog, who he says is choking on pepper spray in the back seat. He is then handcuffed on the ground while the police search his car. Nazario asks, why am I being treated like this? Why? Because you're not cooperating, an officer responds. You're fixing to ride the lighting, son, Gutierrez says. And reminder, Gutierrez was the officer that was fired. When you ride the lighting, that's when you get tased, right? No, no. What is that? That's when you're sat on the electric chair. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. I ask that because I feel a lot of people don't actually realize what that means. Holy shit. Yeah, I thought I, I, this whole time I thought it was tasing. Wow. Wow. The incident report said that Nazario was initially pulled over for again, not having tags. The same thing as Dante Wright displayed on his SUV, but the temporary dealer plate is visible in the officer's body camera video. The Lieutenant had recently bought the car. I don't know if anyone knows that, but when you have dealer plates, you don't need registration tags. Um, Apparently those police can do that. Sometimes, like, when, when they say, you know your rights, yeah, I know my rights, but the police officer doesn't know like, my rights, so... Seriously. 
Seriously. Uh, Nazario was released without being charged. Obviously, there was nothing to charge him for. Uh, he has accused the officers of using excessive force, illegally searching his car, and violating his constitutional rights. In a statement on Monday, Nazario's lawyer called Officer Gutierrez's termination appropriate, but called for more scrutiny. He says, quote, we must consider steps to decertify officers that engage in this behavior so that they cannot simply seek employment with other law enforcement agencies. Exactly. Yeah. Also, uh, I, I thought this was significant, but Virginia Governor Ralph Northam called the incident disturbing and said on Sunday that he is directing the state police to conduct an independent investigation. Third story, no justice for Jacob Blake. Police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, announced this week that Rustin Shesky, the officer who shot Jacob Blake seven times in his back at point-blank range last summer, leaving him paralyzed, is back on the job. Apparently, the department concluded that Shesky's conduct was within the law. Reminder that Blake was shot as he walked away from the officer toward a parked vehicle where two of his young children were sitting. Two other officers who were likewise cleared of criminal wrongdoing for their role in the arrest and shooting returned to full duty last July after the actions were found to be reasonable and justified. The announcement comes months after a local prosecutor declined to bring any criminal charges against Shesky or any of the officers involved in the shooting, explaining that he could not disprove Shesky's assertion that he was acting in self-defense because he feared Blake would stab him. I just want to repeat that, yes, a, a pocket knife was found in Blake's car, but he had his back turned to the officer and was shot seven times. If that is not considered to be excessive, I'm not sure what is. Blake filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against Chesky, accusing him of using excessive force. But just for context sake, you talk about the fact that Blake was shot seven times in his back and it was a complete just just barrage of bullets, right? No control whatsoever. Yep. I immediately thought of, uh, I'm forgetting her name now, but the, the woman, the one of the many women who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and who actually died. Yes, yes. The one woman who actually the one died. Woman, right? yeah, yeah. And she was shot with a single bullet yep. by Capitol Police trying to defend the space that the Capitol Police were in. A single bullet. Right. That's how it's supposed to be. Right. So, I mean, when we talk about police just unleashing vendettas on black people, consider examples like that. That's how they should act. Even when they're actually in danger, which they were, that's how they should act. Not this. A recent data breach adds insult to injury around the Jacob Blake case. A Christian crowdfunding website has revealed that serving police officers, so active police officers and public officials, have donated money to fundraisers for accused vigilante murderers, far-right activists, and fellow police officers accused of shooting Black Americans. Um. So, Curtis, what, what makes this more <laughs> infuriating from my perspective is that when donating to these Christian crowdfunding websites... 
these officers that are donating and these public officials that are donating don't even use their Gmail, fam. They don't even use their, you know, blue lives matter at gmail.com. They're using the email addresses given to them by the cities and police departments that they work for. What does that tell you? Like, like <laughs> it gets worse. So the beneficiaries of donations from public officials include Kyle Rittenhouse, who murdered two left-wing protesters, shot three of them, but only murdered two after um, the protest started after Jacob Blake um, was shot seven times. So Jacob Blake happened, and then there were protests in Kenosha, and he killed two of the protesters. Uh, And Kyle doesn't even live in Wisconsin, fam. Kyle drove himself from Illinois to Wisconsin with a large weapon that he purchased with his stimulus money. I'm not even joking. And... Mm -hmm you know, by his own accounts, offered armed protection to businesses during the protests at that time. Rittenhouse was released on November 20th, and he had a pretty high bail. So bail was set at $2 million, or whatever, 10% of that, which is 200000 Then they made 200000 uh cash to, to get him out because his, his bail was so high. Rittenhouse is one of the many people who is being supported by active police officers. One donation for $25 made on the 3rd of September last year was made anonymously, but was associated with an official email address for Sergeant William Kelly, who currently serves as the Executive Officer of Internal Affairs in the Norfolk Police Department in Virginia. The donation carried a comment reading, quote, God bless, thank you for your courage, Keep your head up. You've done nothing wrong. That's the answer right there. The comment continues. Every rank and file police officer supports you. Don't be discouraged by actions of the political class of law enforcement leadership. That is the answer to my question. About 32 more donations, totaling about $5,000, came to Shesky. So not to Rittenhouse, but to Shesky from private email addresses associated with Kenosha police officers, and all of them were put under badge numbers. So they, they, they donated money under their badge numbers uh, to, to help save Shesky from, uh, from whatever consequences that they thought was going to come from him having shot Jacob Blake seven times in his back. And again, to remind you, nothing happened, right? Nothing happened. There are no criminal charges. There, there, was, there was no charge. So... they feel emboldened because they don't feel they're doing anything wrong because in their mind, they were meant to round us up. They, they, they were meant to capture us. Hmm. For me, there's, there's kind of, an intellectual debate about white supremacy and racism. And then there's the, just the, the visceral emotional debate about it. Right. Which is that like, how how do you get these people to, to, to change their hearts? You, you do people really think it's possible to change that? I mean, I guess it is because there are examples of it, but man, you expect black people to be intellectual in the face of this? Yeah. Tough fucking sell, man. And this is 
you know, I, I'm not even mentioning everything that happened last week, right? You can't. There's too much. There's too much. It like, I mean, you know, we we haven't we haven't spoken about it in this episode. You know, we spoke about it in our banter segment, but we are fucking tired. Yeah. Because of how much there is to 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 shoulder and parse through and suppress and it's like where does that sentence even end because this is going to continue you know it's exhausting man moving on to news from the world the u.s will withdraw from afghanistan by september 11th 2021 President Joe Biden's promise to remove U.S. troops from Afghanistan by September 11th is his effort to end America's longest war. You know, I'm currently reading um, Barack Obama's Promised Land book, and I'm still, actually, I'm probably right in the middle now. And I can tell you that Barack Obama thought he was going to end this war. (laughs) (laughs) This deadline for Biden's withdrawal is so, so significant. Obviously, the the most obvious... Uh, significance is that September 11th, 2021 is 20 years to the day after the the 9-11 terror terror attacks in New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania that led the U.S. to target Afghanistan in the first place. But on top of that, these two decades have seen more than 2,300 U.S. military lives lost, tens of thousands of U.S. military wounded, and countless Afghan casualties as well not to mention more than $2 trillion in taxpayer money spent. Uh, Curtis, how many troops do you think have been in Afghanistan over the, the last 20 years? Pretty sure it's been millions. Yeah, the, the number has fluctuated a bit, but at times during the Obama administration, there were more than, there were about 100,000 U.S. troops deployed to Afghanistan at one single time. Mm-hmm. Obama tried to end U.S. combat operations in 2014, but ended up leaving more troops in the country than he planned. For the surge. Right. President Donald Trump sent new U.S. troops there before largely drawing them down and engaging in peace talks with the Taliban. Of course, it is impossible to know to what extent conditions in Afghanistan will worsen between now and September, but it doesn't seem to matter. Biden's decision is said to be final and not, quote, conditions-based, end Mm -hmm. quote. It's not just the U.S. leaving, though. It's all of NATO, uh, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And at the height of the war, NATO had more than 130,000 troops from 50 different countries in Afghanistan. So this is truly the end of an era. Exactly. And, you know, certainly from an international perspective, I think a lot of our listeners probably don't care about NATO. They probably don't care that much about Afghanistan, especially because we as a country haven't been there since 2014, right? But it was important to discuss this because there are soldiers who were fighting in that war who weren't born when that war started. Right. You know, I was, you know, we we were, we were, we were, what, 11, 10 years yeah, old? I remember I was 10. Yeah. Um, and for what, honestly? Because as you pointed out, President Trump had to, and and this was the right move, by the way, but President Trump had to start negotiations 
with the same Taliban that 50 countries went to destroy. Yep. Jumping to questions for the audience. This has been a heavy week on multiple fronts. Considering all the news we've heard about police brutality in the U.S. in the past week alone, our ongoing consciousness about the treatment of Black people at the hands of police in our region, and Doug Ford's enhanced stay-at-home order. What are you more afraid of right now? COVID or confused cops? You just listened to episode 54 of The Trip. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis. So remember, subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip TO. We love our many non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you had any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for our new sound. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time. Yeah. I told you I'm coming back with this one, right? Yeah. Let y'all feel it out. 